Welcome to the podcast for Westside at Jesus Church. We are a family of missionary disciples in West Portland who believe the church is not a religious subculture, but the making of a new humanity. It's not a building or a weekend activity, but a community of multi-ethnic, multi-generational men and women living out the light, love, and hope of Jesus to the world around us. We hope this episode encourages and empowers you to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus as we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Welcome, welcome. We are so thankful that you are here today. I'm going to jump into the scriptures. We are a Jesus church. We believe in placing him front and center to all that we do, to all that we say. My name is Tim McDonald, and I am just so excited to be able to open scriptures with you today. Uh, in fact, actually, if you don't have a Bible and you need one, there are men and women around the room that love to put a Bible into your hands. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep this one as a gift from us to you. Uh, we've been uh, in a series called Receive the Holy Spirit. We're actually, believe it or not, on the last day of the series. We're wrapping it up today, uh, just in time for the fall. Uh, and it's been a great series. I mean, I've been, it's been really, really fun. Um, but I wanted to give you guys just a tiny little sneak peek of kind of some of the places that we're going for the next weeks ahead. Uh, we are going to be kind of stepping into the vision of what it means to be this church, what it means to be the church. We're really excited about kind of some of the fun stuff that God is opening up for us, including next week, again, double request, double invitation to come to that barbecue after this gathering. It's going to be amazing. I have high, high hopes and high promises that there's going to be a lot of smoke to meet there. So anybody who likes that kind of stuff, it'll be there. I promise. And... Um, and there's also going to be some of those goodies. And again, if you're sitting out there with that magical grandma's cookie recipe, uh, I want to invite you to bring those cookies. Change our lives. Okay? Change our lives with those cookies. Um, the week after that, we were actually going to be doing the, our baptism Sunday on September 11th. Normally, we do baptisms at the beginning of the month. But if you're out there and you've been waiting to get baptized, September 11th, we will be doing a gathering uh, with baptisms at the end. We'd love to have you, that and have you there for that. And then at the end of September, we're going to jump into our new series on the way of Jesus. Um, we're so excited. We really have been like kind of wrestling through like, God, what are you calling us into this fall? And we felt like Jesus just kept kind of sent front and center. And so we're going to do a study through the book of Luke. And we're going to kind of walk through some of the things that we see in the life of Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. What are the things that make Jesus like happy? Uh, and, and what are the things that make Jesus sad? And we want to learn how to live lives that reflect both who he was then, but then also who he's calling us to be in Portland in 2022. So come ready for that incredible journey. Now, this summer has been an absolute whirlwind as we have run through this series on the Holy Spirit. We began by asking this question, are you thirsty? And we talked about like this fact that we were created with an internal longing to drink deeply from the divine. But, but we live in a world that's just competing for all of our attention, competing for our thirst. We explored the Holy Spirit as a person. We explored him as a power and, and, and as a presence. And we looked at Jesus as our model, what it looks like to follow uh, with the Spirit's empowering presence. We looked at him and, and, we, and we looked at his life. We talked about the flesh 
and what it looks like for us to put our flesh to death and to step into the fruits that the Spirit brings through our life. And then even a few weeks back, Gerald opened up this conversation around uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we, we discussed the idea of the fact that we're not, we're not like superheroes, but we're actually like FedEx delivery people, given gifts from, from God himself that we're to hand off to and onto other people. Gifts in word and deed, healing and prophecy to bless our community and our family. And today, we're going to jump into an incredible passage. Uh, it's this beautiful text in the amazing chapter of the Bible, uh, Romans 8. So go ahead and flip open your Bibles to Romans 8. And as you do, actually, if you could stand up to your feet, I want to read this text over us. It's a beautiful text. Romans 8, starting in chapter 11. If, if you don't have a Bible, it is up on the screen there too. And it says this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you are in, live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And before you sit down, let's read just this one line from Zechariah out together in a loud voice. Let's make it ring in this room. Here we go. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for your text, for your scriptures. And Father, right now, we, we invite you to be our good shepherd. Jesus, lead us. Holy Spirit, teach us. We know that, God, you work in us as we open up our hands and our lives. And we just ask that today you would do that. You would change us from the inside out. We give you permission. We, we open up our hearts to you and say, teach us, Lord. And it's in your name that we pray with our eyes fixed on you. Amen. You may be seated. Who are you really? This is kind of a question that's gonna be kind of the theme as we run through today. And you don't need to turn there, but I, I want to take a look at the passage that we just kind of read together out over everybody. It's, this, it's a really fascinating uh, kind of story that takes place in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. And we read from Zechariah, who is this man who was a part of the crew that returned back from Babylon and, and was within a couple months of that season where this book actually comes into existence, where these prophetic messages come into existence. 
Zechariah had come back to be a part of that rebuilding crew, and he was from a family of priests, so he knew the insides and outs of the story of Israel. Just a handful of months into rebuilding the temple, the Spirit of God comes to Zechariah and gives him gifts, gives him a message, words to be given to the people. Now, just to be clear, these are kind of those thus saith the Lord kinds of words, big P prophecy. This is the stuff that becomes Bible. And one of the messages is given specifically to a man named Joshua, who was the high priest at that time. This is different Joshua than we maybe think about sometimes in the Old Testament. But this was a high priest that was sitting in this newly built, this temple that was being built. And, and it was a message to this man. And in the vision, Zachariah sees Joshua dressed in filthy rags. And he's, he's standing there and Satan, the Satan, the accuser, is standing in front of him, pointing his finger at him and shaming him. We see this image of, of Joshua weighed down by his sins and the sins of all of the people. And the enemy is rubbing his face in his mistakes. Anybody out there connect to that? Have that experience in their story? The thing is, God doesn't leave him there, doesn't leave him that way. He says, take off his filthy clothes and put fine garments on him instead. And then he says, God says to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin. Then in the story, there's a bunch of amazing uh, imagery and pointing forward to when Jesus will actually come and do that work on the cross. But, but what I want to focus on for today is the fact that God speaks to Joshua a person in his weakness, a person in his brokenness, and he speaks hope over him. I am going to deal with your sin, says God. You are clean. And then he turns his attention to King Zerubbabel. King, this is kind of like the puppet king that they had put in place over top of Jerusalem. And you see the image of a man who's in weakness. Literally, the walls of Jerusalem are collapsed all around the city. There's just a small ragtag group of people. They feel exposed, undefended. And it's in the midst of that that God says, no, Zerubbabel, I see you. I will make you a mighty mountain. I will give you the capstone, which is another way of saying like, I'm gonna help you finish the work that you're setting out to finish because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. In these two prophetic stories, we read about the journeys of two people and their identities people who were being defined by their mistakes and the mistakes of their people and the circumstances around them. Two people that God was not content to leave in their circumstances. You say this is how you feel based on what you see around you and based on what society is telling you and based on what the Satan is accusing you of. I say different, says God. I say different, and what I say goes. 
That's the beauty of being God. God defines identity. The alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who holds galaxies in his hands, the one who literally holds all of life together, he speaks into our being and makes us who we are. And so it's with that image, with that story kind of in mind that I want to jump back into Romans 8. So let's take a look there. Romans 8. It's one of the great chapters of the scriptures. And it's really, it's at the heart of, God, of Paul's great theological treatise to the Romans. And he begins the chapter by declaring that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Jesus. This bold statement right out there. Hey, you might feel like you're buried in your sin and all these things, but God says, if you're in Jesus, you have no condemnation. Paul declares that the spirit within has given life and it's literally, he's literally set us free from death. And all of this was accomplished through the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And so there was a time in our life when we lived at odds with God, but now God has made us well. He's made us right with him. We now have life and peace. And then Paul ends chapter eight, declaring that we are more than conquerors. Now, what an incredible statement. God has given us his power. He's made us able to stand through him who loves us. And that God, he's for us. And that he's actually praying for us. And that he has justified us. And that someday he will graciously give us all things. This is amazing. Amazing chapter. If, I just want to say, if you've never read Romans 8, I want to encourage you, like, this is your homework. Go home today and read Romans 8. It will change your life. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. He, he then ends Romans 8 with this beautiful poetic declaration. He says, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God when we're with him. But nestled in between these incredible truths is this beautiful little chunk of scripture that speaks into the reality of life with the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to look at today. Now, fair warning, some of the stuff could be a little heavy weighting. And so what, what I've done is I've kind of pulled off main themes out of some of these verses. Verse 11 says this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life. So Paul he continues this train of thought that he's been building through the book of Romans and then into chapter eight. And we see this kind of repeated qualifier that comes out multiple times. If the spirit is living in us. Now, I don't know if you're one of those people that likes to underline or likes to circle things, but I'm just gonna say that if is really important. It's, it's worth it. If you're a highlighter, highlight it, Okay. If the Spirit is living in us, 
He repeats it multiple times. And this is connected back to a conversation we had weeks ago. Life of the Spirit versus life of the flesh. Paul is saying that hope that you have for resurrection, that someday that we will live life with God together forever and ever, that comes from the Spirit of Jesus inside of you that's been put there. And his Spirit brings life. Paul's point is clear. You don't get one without the other. Either God's spirit is in you and you're choosing to walk imperfectly, but walk by his leading onto eternal life, or God's spirit is not in you and you're choosing to walk in the flesh onto judgment and death. Just like he wrote way back in, in verse six, the mind that's governed by flesh is death, but the mind that's governed by the spirit is life and peace. And so he says in verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Now, Paul wants to be super clear with his expectations here. If the spirit is living in us, we have an obligation. But, our obligation, it's not to our old flesh. He, he wants to make sure that we catch this. It's really important. Man, if, if shame comes up, if, if, if you get that temptation rising up inside of you again, we can simply raise our hand and say, that debt was paid at the cross. Like it was paid with the perfect life and blood of Jesus Christ. We are now his. And that's the important qualifier. Our debt is to live by the spirit because Jesus has purchased us with his very blood. We now belong to him in the best sense possible. And so we need to follow his lead. Honestly, this is where so much of the Western, of where Western Christianity can kind of stall out. Can it? I mean, it's just too easy to accept the benefits of salvation and leave the difficult bits and, and not want to like change, to say, yes, Lord, for eternity with you, but I don't really want to change anything about who I am. It's like a religious buffet where we help ourselves to the chocolate pudding, but we leave the broccoli alone. Has anybody ever wondered why there's chocolate pudding in the salad section at buffets? Has anybody ever wondered? I, I don't understand. It just doesn't seem to make sense to me. It's not a vegetable. It's not a fruit. Well, anyways, maybe it is a vegetable. I don't know. The thing is, is that we know that there is no nutritional value in that chocolate-colored hair gel, right? Like, we know it. And yet, still, we kind of get drawn into it because it's sitting right beside broccoli, Right? And, and, and this is a part of what it looks like to step into faith. It's, it's learning how to say, yes, Lord, I am yours. Therefore, I want to follow you. And what you say is best for me. What you say is nutritional for me. G.K. Chesterton once said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. There's deep truth in this reality. Being a Christian does mean following Jesus and getting freedom and life 
but it doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. It means that we still need to say yes to the Lord every single day. It means we need to live led by the Spirit. You know, the verb that gets used here for led, it it communicates a willingness to be led. We're not shamed and guilted into this life. No, it it simply comes as a consequence of saying yes to God. So this isn't a leash that God puts on us. No, it's, it's a willingness that begins to form in our heart, a desire to say yes to the Spirit's leading. Remember, we, we talked about this several weeks ago. This is, the life in the Spirit isn't about checking boxes. It's about a relationship. It's about asking God what He thinks. And when He speaks, saying, yes, Lord, I want to follow that. Learning how to speak and listen. Learning how to hear and obey. It involves submitting our will. And I know that that word submission, it kind of gets a lot of negative airplay. But here's the reality of it. When we come to Jesus, we come with our hands open. We come as people who are saying, yes, Lord, we want to receive from you. And so we give you all that we are. You know, the crazy thing is, The closer that we draw to this infinite being, this incredible father that loves us so much, the closer that we draw to him, far from experiencing shame or or fear of disappointment, instead, we discover that we are, in fact, children of God. And he places inside of us, inside of our hearts, the ability, Paul says, to cry out, Abba, Father, the most intimate of terms. Dad, I I need you. And when the Spirit moves inside of us, he does these two incredible works. First, he brings, Paul tells us, he brings about our adoption. Now, this is so important because adoption in the Roman world was like legit. It was the real deal. It was actually easier for a person to be like kicked out of a family than it was to break adoption. Like a person, a, a, a father could actually say, I'm done with you, son, but he could not do that with a person that had been adopted into his family. It was such a powerful legal standing. And this is, this is what happens. The Spirit brings about our adoption, a return into the center of God's family. And it comes with all of the positions and all the, all the, the positional rights that come with a part of that family. But, but the Spirit doesn't leave it there. He goes one step further. He then, second, remakes our own broken, lonely spirit. He reminds us of our birthright, who we were always intended to be. He goes beyond the external and he moves into the internal created reality and he begins pointing us back to the garden. You know those moments, Adam and Eve, with with God their father walking in the cool of the day like a family? The Holy Spirit reminds us that this is who we really are. 
He endows inside of us this family relationship. Being a part of God's family is about more than just having the right legal standing. It is about a restoration of our relationship and our identity. He puts the family ring back on. He throws the best robe around our shoulders. He says, go kill the, cat and, or the fattened ram. We're gonna have a party because my lost kids have been restored to me. He reminds us of our original identity. And in fact, verse 16 says that the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's like the Holy Spirit gets inside of us and begins discipling our spirit to our new identity, reminding us of what, of the, what those basic root desires were. The word uh, testifies can also be translated bears witness. It's like, it's like a trial. It's as if, the, as if Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit was there in the garden. The Holy Spirit saw the way that this was supposed to be. And now he's going to show you who you were always intended to be. Verse 17 says this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so God goes all the way through and begins to reshape our identity and makes us heirs and co-heirs with Christ. If the Spirit is living in us, we have an obligation to live led by the Spirit and cry, Abba, Father, as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. This is our true identity. We were created to be daughters and sons. We were created to be his image bearers. And notice, this isn't just about reframing our current reality or our past reality. It also focuses on the future reality. Someday, we will spend eternity together as a family with the reward of his kingdom, with the reward of his presence in a world that is desperate to figure out who it is, God says, I know who you are. Let me say that again. In a world that is desperate to figure out who it is, God says, I know who you are. I've always known who you are. And I will know it forever. We need reminders of these realities, don't we? I mean, it's just too easy to get lost in the chaos and confusion of the collapse of the human identity. It's too easy to be like a reed swaying in the wind of our postmodern world. And this is why the Spirit's presence is so important in our life day by day. Like Joshua, the high priest, can you connect? Do you relate to him in any way? Are, are you consumed by guilt and shame over sin? Is there places of brokenness in your life that you just don't know how to deal with? Is there temptations that plague you? The word that Zachariah uses is like, he's, or, or, um, 
Joshua was like a, a, a stick rescued from the fire, fragile, about to fall apart. When you look in the mirror, is that how you feel? If you are in Christ and being led by the Spirit, God has a new story for you. He has a new identity. You see, there's no longer any condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That means that those words that you're speaking over yourself, those words that are being spoken over you, there's no room for them anymore. You're clean. You are wearing fine robes. Yeah, but Tim, I just made that mistake yesterday. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. We pick ourselves up and we follow again. And we confess and we deal with our sin and we deal with our life, but we follow again. Are you like the high priest needing to hear that God does not see you in those filthy robes? but that he has a new identity for you. Or maybe you're like Zerubbabel, the king. Are you burdened down by weaknesses and insecurity? When you look around at your life, it feels like all of the walls have caved in. I, I don't know how I'm gonna hold this all together. It's all coming apart the seams. I feel undefended. I feel exposed. I am moments, decisions away from losing it all. Paul would say, if you are in Christ and being led by the Spirit, God has a new story for you, a new identity. He would say, you're more than a conqueror. The context for that is when we are in Christ, he gives us the ability to be who we need to be no matter the circumstance. No matter what we're facing, he fills us with the courage. He, he gives us the strength we need to face those circumstances if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are secure in God's love. Remember, there is nothing that can separate you. Nothing can separate you. Do you feel alone? God is there. God is with you. Do you feel abandoned? Do you feel exposed? God is with you. You have been anointed as heirs in the kingdom of heaven. It might surprise you that, that even Jesus had a journey with identity and walking through who he was. Let me flip back just a few chapters to Luke 3, a few pages. It says this, Luke 3, 21 through 23. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Jesus steps into the waters of baptism. We know the story. He gets baptized by John and, and Holy Spirit descends on him, abides in him. And from the heavens comes a voice. This is my son. 
in whom I am well pleased. But there were questions, questions around his identity. Jesus grew up in a village and everyone thought he must be Joseph's boy, which brings all kinds of baggage and difficulty. Yeah, he's that boy that was born out of wedlock. He's, he's the one that they claim is special. But it doesn't matter because Jesus knows who he is. Fast forward, Luke 4, verses 3. It's an incredible story. Jesus hasn't even stepped into his earthly ministry yet. And he steps into 40 days of temptation in the desert, kind of reenacting the 40 years that Israel wandered. And in, in this time, he becomes hungry and thirsty. And the enemy, seeing an opportunity, steps in just like Joshua the high priest sticking his finger in his chest, trying to undermine Jesus and his identity. And he presses hard. If you are God's son, prove it. Prove it. But Jesus knows who he is. Jesus understands his identity. And over and over and over again, he lives as the new Israel, successfully navigating the wilderness trials. But the story, the story isn't done. Luke 4, verses 16 through 22, we read this. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him. And we're amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus returns back to his hometown synagogue. He reads from the scrolls and they're all, everybody's excited to see what's about to happen. He opens up one of the messianic passages and he reads about himself, who he is going to be in the book of Isaiah. This is the moment that all the people have been waiting for and they are impressed. At first, they begin to wrestle with the implications of his words and they know his story. This doesn't make sense. And suddenly, they want to throw him off a cliff. It seems a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. But again, Jesus knows who he is. Now, does he know this because of the Father's voice speaking over him? Maybe. But I think it's more than that. I think Jesus knows who he is because the Spirit abided in him. Walked him through his identity, reminding him of the fact of who God had made him to be. Filling him with his presence, linking him through the story, giving him a sense of his purpose. The Spirit literally helped Jesus become 
who God called him to be. And I think he wants to do the same thing for us. As I wrap up our time, I want to ask a couple really important questions, maybe some of the most important questions a person can ask. And the first question is this, who is Jesus to you? Now, this might seem like an unusual way to end a series about the Holy Spirit, but honestly, what you think about Jesus says a lot about how the Spirit is working in you because the Holy Spirit is always directing you towards Jesus, his life, his purposes, his will, his path. And if the Holy Spirit is working in you, your life will point to Jesus. In Luke 9, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited King of Israel, but here's the question. Is he your long-awaited Messiah? Who is he to you? Is he Lord of your life? Is he Lord of part of your life? There are, there are two answers to this question that I think are incredibly important to us today. And the first one is, is he your savior? As you ask that question, who is Jesus to me? Is he your savior? All the prophetic language around Zechariah was that Jesus would come and in a moment, on a day, he would deal with sin once and for all. My friends, if you're living out there right now in this moment and you don't know the liberating power of our Messiah to set you free, Today is the day. In fact, I don't want to even move any further in, in the questions until we deal with this one moment. So here's what I want to do. I just want to invite you to close your eyes for just a moment. If you're out there and, and honestly, you don't know if he is your savior. You're not even sure if you need a savior. I would say this to you. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine and he is creating a path for you to be in right relationship with him. So with your eyes closed, let's just pray this prayer together. This is you. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender to you all that I am, my sin, my broken bits, and also my good stuff, the things that I bring to the table, I give it all to you and I say, Lord, I want all of you. Take me as your son, as your daughter. Help me to live the life that you called me to. Amen. It's pretty simple. If you're out there and you prayed that prayer or if you've got questions about what it looks like for him to be your savior. I want to invite you to talk to somebody today. Come talk to me. Talk to somebody alongside the walls. But the second answer that we need to wrestle with in this room is whether or not Jesus is our shepherd or our guide. 
We live a lot of our life kind of on our own terms. And I, I brought up the word submission earlier, and it is just such a complicated word in our day and age. We so badly want to hold on to our things and our stuff and our ways of life. And Jesus is saying, like, give it all to me. Is Jesus your guide, your shepherd? When he leads, when he calls, do you obey? Do you know the sound of his voice? And I think this, the answer to this question is deeply connected to the second question, which is this. Who are you, really? Who are you, really? Are you here as a person who has come to be a part of this family? Or are you a person that is still stuck? And maybe you would call yourself a Christian. And maybe you would say, yeah, I, I, I think I know what it means to be a Jesus follower, but I still feel stuck by these old identities. I still, I still feel stuck by things that people have said to me over the years, things that hurt me in my past, things that were spoken over me, sins that have gripped me so hard that I don't know how to let them go. I still feel trapped in this old identity. I want to make an invitation to you today, my friends. An invitation to step into an identity as a daughter and a son of the Most High God. If you're out there and you, as a Christian, you've been following Jesus for years, but honestly, you're still stuck and you know that God is saying, now I'm calling you to any time, any place, any cost. I wanna invite you to stand. I know this is a moment it takes courage, it takes faith to say, yes, I want in. I want to be a part of that family. I want this new identity. But I want to invite you to stand up. I know it's tough. Is there stuff in your life that you're just like, I want to leave this behind? And stand up. We want to pray for you. Trust me, there was awkward silence at the 9 a.m. too. Stand up. I see you. 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 Friends, God has so much more for us. The invitation to become a part of this family doesn't stop at just getting fire insurance. It carries forward and remaking our identity into new people. And so I wanna pray that over you. So if, if you see somebody standing around you could you just like stretch over and if they're okay with it, like go ahead and put a hand on them. And I want to invite you, just let's circle up these people. 
we're gonna pray for him, especially if there's somebody from the prayer team, if they could just kind of come around. And I wanna invite you right now, church, to pray for these people. Pray all in prayers. Pray for confidence. Pray for a reality check into who they are, that they would be able to, to kill off those old voices. That God would give them new voices, a new story, a new sense of identity. Let's just, let's just go for it. Let's just pray as a family.